<laughs> Take my hand and follow me into the darkness of horror film reviews and real tales of the paranormal. I'm Mr. Steve, and welcome to my horror section. Did you ever know that you're my hero? Oh wait, this isn't my American Idol audition. Oop, sorry. Anyway, welcome to episode 3. In 2007, the film that saw audiences literally jump out of their seats was Oren Pelly's Paranormal Activity. The found footage series Phenom would become a household name in the world of horror films. But... Before I pick that bone apart, I have another real paranormal tale for you. Ever since I saw the Witchboard movies from the 1980s and 1990s, I have been in love with Ouija boards. I'm a very respectful wizard, however. While I own one, I have only ever used it a couple of times in my life. And here's one of them. I was throwing a party one night with some friends while my parents were out at the casino, and we thought it might be fun to give the Ouija board a try. And why not do it in the creepiest part of the house, the basement? So, my friends and I grabbed the board, only one candle, and made our way to the basement. If I remember correctly, there was about seven or eight of us uh, that night. Only three of us were actually using the board. We lit the candle and turned off all the other lights. We began asking questions. The planchette, or indicator, began to slowly move, answering our questions. Of course, we all began accusing each other of moving it. I remember one of my friends writing down the answers. And before you ask, I checked, I cannot find them anywhere. I'm just as bummed as you are. Anyway, as we continued, we all had noticed that the planchette was beginning to pick up speed. This is something that also happened during the other time I used the board, and I'm guessing I'm not the only one that this has happened to. The faster it moved, the more we could tell that there was no way that one of us was manipulating it. I remember feeling that sense of realization that this was real. Kind of that oh shit moment. The session started out very light-hearted. Everyone was laughing and having a good time. After the planchette picked up speed, though, no one was laughing anymore. I remember watching it shoot to answer so fast that we could barely keep our fingers on it. The entire energy of the basement changed. None of us felt safe anymore. Then the planchette started to move in circles in between questions just like it does in the Witchboard movies. The one person that seemed to be affected the most was our friend Beth. She really didn't want us to play with the board in the first place, but she went along with it and was just trying to have a good time. But the fear finally got to her. We had one more request of the spirits. We asked them to make the flame on the candle grow bigger. Our eyes were fixed on the flame. The planchette was still moving quickly, in a circular motion on the board. We watched as the candle's flame seemed to get brighter and taller. Gives me chicken skin just thinking about it. We couldn't believe what we were seeing. Just then, 
Beth had had enough. She could no longer contain herself. She screamed at us to stop. Not really setting out to upset anyone, we gladly stopped, flicked on the basement lights, and said goodbye to the spirits. We got Beth upstairs and calmed her down. But man, you could still feel the intensity of what we experienced the rest of the night. I know some of you are probably wondering if this had a lot to do with the other experiences that I've had in my childhood home. I certainly don't think it made things any worse. Um, I would I would have been 17 or 18 when we did this, and I had plenty of crazy experiences way before ever bringing a Ouija board home. So no, I don't think this had much bearing on the spirits that were already surrounding my house and the land it sat on. I can promise you they were already there. I also can't say that the activity increased or decreased after doing that stunt, so hey, at least we didn't make things any worse. Alright, now it's on to talking about the paranormal activity. I, for some reason, did not jump on the Paranormal Activity films when they came out in theaters. I wasn't a huge fan of the found footage films at that time. Not for any specific reason, I just wasn't in the right headspace. I was just actually talking about this with my husband the other day because there have been TV shows that we've sat down to watch and ended up abandoning them, only to pick them up again in a couple years and fall in love with them. I think you have to be in the right mood for certain types of movies and shows. But anyway, in 2019, I came across a sale on Apple TV that had the entire series on sale. So I thought, what the hell? It was the entire movie collection for like 20 bucks or something. Uh, My husband was out of town for work, so I had nothing better to do than watch scary movies and scare the crap out of myself (laughs) in our little house in the woods. Well... I was not ready for what these movies had to bring to the table. These are horrifying. Ah! The jump scares, the anxiety building bass, and the real found footage feeling, and the crazy intense endings of each film. A lot of thought went into making these films, and it shows. The first time I watched these movies, I was so busy trying not to piss myself and keep my heart from beating out of my chest that I had a hard time following the plot of the story. Uh, Truth be told, I didn't have a complete understanding of the story until I watched all of them again to make my notes. So for those of you who also felt a bit lost, hopefully this helps it all make sense. So, the story of paranormal activity, well, at least the first six films, centers around the sisters Katie and Christy. Their grandmother Lois belonged to a coven of witches called the Midwives. This group of gals has been around for a minute, and what they do is bargain with certain demons in order to gain wealth and power. The trade is that they must sacrifice their firstborn male of their bloodline to bring forth the demon into the physical world. Well, Grandma Lois had one daughter who gave birth to two girls, Katie and Christy. No boys yet. This doesn't stop the demon from paying special attention to them, however. The young Christy has an imaginary friend called Toby. Well, don't tell anyone, but he's our demon. Shh. 
So Toby is our main antagonist throughout most of the films, and he is scary as fuck. So with no boy being birthed anytime soon, Toby and the coven wait patiently for Christy and Katie to grow up into lovely young women. Well, patience is a virtue. Christy and her husband give birth to a beautiful baby boy, Hunter. It was the birth of Hunter that catapulted the events of the films in motion. I really liked the way they told the story through the films, uh, very similar to how it was done with the Conjuring films, uh, with a bit of time jumping. The first paranormal activity centered around Katie and her boyfriend Mika, with nothing more than hints uh, to what was causing the haunting that we were witnessing. We learned that Katie and her sister Christy were terrorized by a ghost when they were a kid, but that's about all we get. We learned that their childhood home had burned down. A burned picture of a young Katie was found in the attic, which plays a part in the narrative in a couple of the other films, uh, indicating that the demon attacking them is the same one from their childhood. The second and third films are prequels, walking us back and filling in the gaps of the story for us. Paranormal Activity 2 takes us a couple months prior to the events of the first film, to the birth of Christie's baby Hunter. It is in this film, again, that we hear a little bit about the sisters experiencing a haunting as children, but they don't actually reveal too much. Now that the firstborn son is here, Toby begins his torment of these poor families. He eventually builds up enough strength to possess Christy. With the help of the baby's nanny, Martine, Christy's husband figures out a way to transfer the demon into another body. Sadly, they can only transfer the demon to a blood relative, and the only one she's got is Christy. Incredibly shitty thing to do, but I guess you gotta do what you gotta do to save the ones you love, right? It didn't really do them much good, however. After Katie is possessed in the first film, she kills her boyfriend Mika and makes her way to Christy's house, kills little sis Christy and her husband, kidnaps Hunter, and off they go into the night. Paranormal Activity 3 takes us back even further, showing us Katie and Christy's childhood. This is actually the first film that we hear Toby's name. What was thought to be an imaginary friend of Christie's was actually a powerful demon prince of hell. This was also the first film to introduce us to Grandma Lois, who is basically the architect of all the evil that is going on here. The scene at the end of this film was quite the intense one, as Grandma Lois and the coven, with the power of Toby behind them, kills the girl's mother and stepfather, and prepare Christy to essentially marry Toby. Something I found interesting is that they never once mention who Katie and Christy's father was. They don't bring it up at all in any of the films. Hmm. So now, the fourth film takes us back to present times. This film uh, took place in 2011, four years after the events in the first two films. This film confused the hell out of me at first. Um, it's a good one, though. Very scary, but very confusing. So we have this lovely family. 
The film sticks close to the teenage daughter, Alex, and her little brother, Wyatt. A strange new neighbor moves in across the street with a young boy. Paranormal activity starts to happen when the neighbor boy has to come and stay with them because his mother, whom we haven't seen yet, ends up in the hospital for a few days. Ouch! My first assumption was that the strange neighbor boy, Robbie, was actually Hunter, who was kidnapped by Katie. I really thought it uh, when it's eventually discovered that the woman we assume is his mother is actually Katie. Time for a big mindfuck. Robbie is not Hunter. Why it is. <laughs> Apparently Hunter was adopted by this family at some point, and they changed his name to Wyatt. So who the hell is this Robbie kid, and how did he end up with Katie? Another question, and when did Katie lose him? I don't even know what that means. These questions never get answered, and that drives me crazy. We do find out uh, a little more about the coven and what their goals are in this film, though. <laughs> Anyways, after another crazy, intense ending, Hunter and Katie are back with the spooky coven. Now, Paranormal Activity 5, the marked ones, takes place one year later. The events of this film paint a picture for us of what will happen eventually to Hunter as he gets older. This film follows the story of Jesse, a handsome Latin American man and his friends. Jesse just turned 18, and unknown to him, his mother, who had passed away, was part of the midwife's coven, along with Grandma Lois. So Jesse's fate was sadly sealed from birth. He is a marked one, just like Hunter, and is slowly being broken down and eventually possessed by a demon. I'm assuming it's Toby, but his name is not mentioned in this, in this film. In this movie, we learn that the coven has the ability to create magical doorways that allow them to travel through time. Eventually, they make their way to Grandma Lois's farmhouse from the third film, where they go through a door leading them back to 2006, to Katie and Mika's house right before the death of Mika, when we hear Katie screaming his name from downstairs. So freaking wild, this series takes you on some crazy twists and turns, but it all links back up. Paranormal 6 takes us another year later into 2013. A new house has been built on the land that Katie and Christie's childhood home once stood. The new family has a young daughter, Leela, who seems to be the target of the paranormal activity here. Turns out, Leela was born on the same day as Hunter. Her blood is needed to bring Toby into the physical world. Leela's father comes across a box of tapes that was also seen in Paranormal Activity 2 and 3. These tapes show Katie and Christie's childhood, along with what happened to them after their mother and stepfather were murdered. They were taken in by the coven and taught certain magics and psychic abilities to see into the future. In one of the tapes, Christie was actually seeing this family and Leela. The father found a video camera that had been fashioned uh, to be able to see spiritual energy. This is the first film where we actually get to see Toby, and he is flipping terrifying. <laughs> In one of the films, 
showing the young Christy and Katie, we also see Hunter. Hmm, how could that be? Well, I'll tell you. After the events in Paranormal 4, Katie and the Coven must have took Hunter back through one of their magical time travel doors to 1988. Leela, being influenced by Toby, draws the symbols needed for the time travel door on the wall of her bedroom, which creates a door back to 1988. Drops of Hunter and Leela's blood are needed to give Toby a physical form in this world. The ritual takes place, Toby kills Leela's mother, and the film ends with Toby, now in human form, walking off with Leela. <laughs> this is where the original story ends. Toby is alive somewhere in 1988, I'm assuming, doing his thing. But we can't forget also, though, that they have the ability to time hop, so who knows where he could be. Now we jump to March of 2021 with Paranormal Activity next of kin. I'm not sure exactly how I feel about what they did with this film yet. Um, it, to me, is a completely standalone film. It's a decent movie. It's scary. But it has nothing to do with the other films. Or at least I couldn't find a connection. So the film uh, follows the story of Margot and her finding her blood relatives after she was abandoned by her mother as a baby. She tracked her bloodline down to a supposed Amish community. Her mother is presumed dead. She brings along a close friend and a tech guy to document their story of finding her family roots. But they soon catch wind of something much more sinister going on. The Amish family isn't Amish at all. They are some kind of cult that worships the demon Asmodeus. They keep the demon contained by allowing him to possess a member of the group and keep them in chains in a secret cavern beneath a creepy church in the middle of the forest. It turns out Margot's mother, Sarah, was trying to spare her daughter from being possessed by the demon by sneaking her away from the village. Meanwhile, Sarah was possessed and being held under the church. In the end, Margot, find, uh, Margot and her friends escape the village. The demon leaves her mother and possesses Sam, who is the young man who uh, brought uh, Margot to meet the family. Sam kills the police who have been called out to a massacre at the village, steals their car, and drives off to one of my favorite Loretta Lynn songs, Hello, Darling. So the story is left open, and we will have to wait and see if they do anything with it. Now, I read an article that suggested, not confirmed, but suggested, that Asmodeus was actually Toby. But that just wouldn't make sense to me. There is no mention of the midwives' coven in this, and it doesn't surround the whole firstborn son ritual. Different cult, different setup for possession, different everything. To me, this is a completely different demon. I did look it up. He is actually listed as one of the princes of hell, which in Paranormal Activity 6, we learn that Toby is one of the seven princes of hell. So maybe this is a brother of his. Maybe that's a deeper reason for calling this film next of kin. 
I don't know. Maybe future films will help tie it all together. So for right now, we'll just have to be patient. I loved the creativity behind the filming techniques of each of these films. Always a different method of camera is used in just about each movie. In the first film, you have just the one camera that Mika is filming with and, this, and setting it up on the tripod for the evenings while they slept. In the second film, it was done almost all with security cameras in the house and some laptop camera filming. The third installment was filled with the huge cameras of the 1980s, which were not fun to use or haul around. You crazy kids of today will never know the shoulder pain my aunts and uncles went through back in the day. <laughs> the fourth film, uh, that was done almost all laptop cameras, which I thought was interesting because I almost never use mine. Uh, the fifth movie was shot with a smaller, up-to-date handheld HD camera. The sixth installment was shot with that modified camera from the 80s and early 90s that was designed to see spiritual energy. And the seventh was shot with the most up-to-date handheld camcorders. <laughs> the different techniques kept it from being too repetitive and gave the viewers some alternate perspectives. I really enjoy the way the story was told. I like how they started in the middle and then walked us backwards for a bit to tell us the backstory and then took us back to the present. The terror and jump scares made the story just hard to follow for me. Uh, again, I stress when I watched it them the first time, I was so concentrated on not jumping out of my seat that I just wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Um, I also wanted to say the demon Toby is absolutely one of the scariest antagonists um, in any series. Uh, he's shrouded in mystery, completely merciless. And when we finally see him, ugh, just terrifying. <coughs> I have this framed poster on my wall at home of horror icons. I really feel that he should be added to it. <laughs> I also loved Katie Featherling as Katie. I thought she did a great job with the character who was in every film except the last two. Oh, and a big shout out to the child actors in these films. I'm sorry, but when you can use children effectively in horror films, it's a slam dunk. And these kids did a great job in these movies. Another little side note was the houses that were used. Um, when I watched these movies back to back, it felt like I was watching an episode of Buying the House. I wanted to live in all of them, especially the one in the sixth film. That was my favorite. Finally, the consistency of terror throughout the films. Every one of these films will scare the poo out of you at some point. I personally felt they got scarier and scarier actually with each sequel. The Paranormal Activity series, at its core, is taking what is reported in real paranormal cases and documentaries and bringing them to life in the most terrifying way possible. What goes on in these movies is what we fear will happen if we're put in these situations of dealing with a demonic presence in our home. And that, for me, is what makes this series just so terrifying. Well, that does it for episode three. On my next episode, I will be delving into the terrifying world of Insidious.
Another brilliant piece of horror artistry by the one and only James Wan. Plus, of course, more real paranormal encounters to get those hairs on your back to stand right up. I leave you with this quote from John Lennon that I really love. When I was five years old, my mother always told me that happiness was the key to life. When I went to school, they asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wrote down happy. They told me I didn't understand the assignment. I told them they didn't understand life. See you next time. Steve's Horror Section is an independently produced podcast. If you would like to become a supporter of my show, you can visit me my Patreon page at patreon.com slash steves horror section. The music and sound effects on my show are provided by epidemicsound.com. <laughs>